up, everyone? I'm Catherine Rudder, and you're listening to Life in the Fast Chain. This is a very special episode because we have a ton of people on the podcast. So first, we have Lynn Carroll from HS Blocks, Jan Wang from Q Squared Solutions, and David Holding from Microsoft talking about their recent POC, which explores real-time tracking of human biological samples in clinical trials on Corda deployed in the Azure cloud. So obviously using a DLT or blockchain for these trials makes a ton of sense because of all the benefits of the technology and we are literally dealing with life or death situations. So if you are interested in all that they have to say about clinical trials on this episode, be sure to join their webinar titled Application of Blockchain in Clinical Research. So that's going to take place on June 27th at 11.30 a.m. Eastern Time. I'll link to the registration in the bio this episode so everyone can sign up, I am definitely going to join it after hearing what they have to say about this stuff. It's super cool. So next, we will have R3 Solutions Engineer Nick Rogers on to discuss what he's building in his free time. I'm sure it's very limited, by the way. Um, but he's building a fully distributed board game based on the game that some of you may know, Settlers of Catan. So he also touches on why board games are similar to DLTs, um, and it's a great episode. This is a super long intro, so let's get to it. I am in the studio with R3's Stephanie Perez, who has been on the podcast before. So everyone listen to episode 24 after this if you want to learn more from Stephanie. Thank you for coming in today. Um, Stephanie is going to be sitting in here making sure I don't say anything stupid. So glad to have you. Um, We also have Jan Wang, VP and Head of Digital Innovation at Q Squared Solutions. We have David Holding, the Principal Healthcare Lead at Microsoft Azure. And we have Lynn Carroll, Chief of Strategy and Operations at HS Blocks. I'm out of breath. Thank you for coming on the line today, everyone. Thanks, Catherine. Great. Thanks for the opportunity. Happy to have you. I hope I hope I did okay. Okay, so to start off, before we jump into uh, blockchain stuff, um, I have started recording this podcast with a drink or two when we're in the studio, but you guys are on the line. So instead, we are going to talk booze and blockchain, um, uh, what your guys' favorite summer drinks are. So this is summer specific because it is so hot outside today. And I would really like a, a chilled glass of rosé, but uh, alas, it is 1240 in the afternoon. <laughs> well, for me, uh, this is Lynn Carroll. Uh, I prefer bourbon on the rocks, and it really doesn't matter whether it's summer, winter, fall, or spring. Uh, works works in any season. <laughs> That's great. Consistency is key. I love it. And All right, David, you're next. Being in Washington State, I'm going to go with something oh. light and refreshing, apple cider. Apple cider, nice, pure. I like it. Yeah, so I went to Scotland for the first time recently, and I had my first scotch. Um, So I'm probably going to be sampling a few more this summer. I don't know whether it's a summer drink or not, but that's what I'm doing. (laughs) All very good answers. Okay, so I love that. Um, I think I would pick rosé, as I said. Stephanie, what would you pick? I I love a good rosé in the summer. Yeah, me too. We're basic, but I yeah, I really basic. appreciate it. It's refreshing. It is refreshing. <laughs> I'm with you on that one. Um, yeah, it doesn't have to necessarily be alcoholic. So I appreciate the apple cider uh, comment, David. Um, so Actually, wait. I have to clarify. I mean hard cider. <laughs> oh, 
This is great. This is a great crew. I, I'm, I'm excited about this episode. I wish you guys were in the studio so we could be sampling our drinks, but alas, that's next time. <laughs> As they're drinking orange juice. <laughs> I'm drinking, yeah, I am drinking orange juice in the studio right now. Um, and it sounds like someone is doing construction above it. But anyways, okay, let's get into business and then I'm sure we'll uh, we'll chat about more things later. Have a little bit of fun. Okay, so you guys have a webinar coming up and it is on June 27th at 11.30 a.m. Eastern. I will put all of this information in the bio of the podcast. So what is this webinar going to be about? Lynn? Let's uh, start with you. Sure. Uh, thanks, Catherine. And thanks to everybody for joining. Uh, what we're going to be talking about is during the last part of 2018 in the fourth quarter, we had an opportunity uh, to collaborate here at HS Blocks with Q Squared and Jan and his team to do a proof of concept uh, in the clinical trial space for DLT. And so the webinar that we're going to talk about uh, will cover what we learned in the POC. It'll be called Application of Blockchain and Clinical Research. And we'll share information uh, on the webinar about what we did uh, in the POC and what we learned. Awesome. So what is the state of clinical trials today and how can this uh, blockchain technology help? So this is Jan, I'll take that. So clinical trials are very rigorous studies conducted on human subjects. Now, if you look at clinical trials, there are really two types of data that uh, is generated from those studies. One type are directly taken from patients, your clinical measurements, you know, your height, weight, blood pressure, and so on. But importantly, actually majority of data is generated from specimens or samples that you collect from patients. Those are like the blood samples or tissue biopsies and so on. Mm-hmm. And those samples then get routed to one or more laboratories to, to be tested and all the data need to come together at the end to either prove or disprove, support or, or contradict a hypothesis. That's basically what a clinical trial is. Now, a, a big movement within clinical trials is really the advent of precision medicine and biomarker-based clinical trials. Essentially, vast majority of, for example, new oncology trials fall under this category. Now, mm-hmm. the around patient samples are becoming more and more critical in the success of these trials because so much testing is done to support the conclusion of a trial. As yeah. such, all the stakeholders in clinical trials are paying uh, more and more attention to the integrity of the whole chain of custody of samples. When I say stakeholders, that in- includes regulatory agencies, that includes sponsors, that includes the various labs, and so on. So I believe this is one of several areas that are suitable for technologies such as DLT. This is the area that we will be focusing on in the webinar. Yeah, very cool. I um, must admit that I don't know so, that much about this. So I love having you people like you guys on and Stephanie talking about this stuff because obviously I talk about uh, the technology all the time. But and, and having people on the podcast just shows all the different use cases that I wouldn't have necessarily thought of. Um, so it's very cool. So why did you guys decide to build a solution for clinical trials, Lynn? <laughs> 
So good question, uh, Catherine. Uh, in in our background as a company here at HS Blocks, our team has extensive supply chain experience. We also have done a lot of work with chain of custody types of solutions. And more recently, we actually have had a production blockchain exit in the fintech space. And so with mutual um, relationships here at HS Blocks and uh, folks that we know over at the Q squared uh, solutions. We decided uh, when we were approached by uh, Q squared to learn more about DLT and how it might be applicable in the clinical trial and clinical research space that we would partner up uh, with Q squared, uh, learn a little bit more uh, from the HS Blocks perspective about clinical trials and research, and then apply uh, the platform that we have built here uh, for operationalizing smart contracts and for disseminating data in private blockchain uh, mode that we would uh, launch a POC uh, with uh, Jan and his team. And so that's how we ended up uh, building a specific industry solution, in this case, uh, focused on clinical trials. Yeah, very cool. So what is the role of uh, the blockchain in the HS Blocks product and what is it trying to solve? You kind of touched a little bit on this. Um, yeah, I, I talked a little bit about the, the requirement for rigorous chain of custody for patient samples in clinical trials. And then the fact that it's becoming more and more of an issue with precision medicine and biomarker-based um, trials. So let me use cell therapy as an example. Right? Cell therapy, as many of you may know, you know, such as CAR-T therapy, is an interesting case in that the samples that you collect from the patients eventually turn into the medicine that go back to the original patient. Yeah. It's, it's literally a life and death issue. In fact, I, I feel it's a, a life and death issue not only for those individual patients, Mm -hmm. for us as an industry. If we mess this up, we're in trouble industry-wide in terms of trust and confidence. There can be no uncertainty mm -hmm. of capacity from the hospital to the labs, to the manufacturing facilities, and back to the hospital, back, back to that specific patient again. I believe this is a great use case for DLT, where its distributed nature and immutability of the ledger is a must-have to really ensure trust in the data from all the parties involved. Right? There are already regulations uh, with regard to uh, drug supply chain. Now, if you think about the cell therapy case, when part of that supply chain is a sample from the target patient to start with, it increases both the complexity and criticality, which may actually be a great use case to drive the application of DLT in the clinical trial sense. Mm -hmm. Wow, yeah. I think uh, obviously the pressure is on to kind of get this stuff right. Like it's not the same as, obviously we want like banks and, and all of those like the paper processes to be taken out. But when you say it like that life and death, yeah. Oh my goodness, Stephanie, you're working on some hardcore stuff. 
<laughs> okay, David, I have not forgotten about you, I promise. Um, so Microsoft has a strong commitment to compliance and an extensive compliance cor- portfolio uh, extends throughout the Azure cloud. Um, how does Microsoft empower innovators? That is kind of twofold. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, you can really think of it in terms of three things Microsoft's focused on the platforms, including Azure, mm-hmm. uh, tools and services, including Azure blockchain as a service, but many, many others and partnership. Right. So mm-hmm. through these, our goal is to empower key partners such as HS blocks and R3 to accelerate their their innovation and mm-hmm. um, deliver great solutions and value to the healthcare industry so they can blaze new pathways to improve patient care. Mm-hmm. So Microsoft has this strong commitment to security and compliance and, and really the widest security portfolio, including regulations such as HIPAA, data protection laws such as GDPR and security mm-hmm. standards such as ISO 27001 and, and many, many more. I think there were about 94 last time I checked. Um, Azure also has this um, extensive um, industry leading presence worldwide with um you know, across 140 countries, uh, last I checked. And um, that can actually be important from the standpoint of data sovereignty and avoiding the the transborder data flow issues that can arise sometimes with respect to data protection laws. Um, So we're we're super excited to see the the progress with uh, piloting the digital sample manager solution and uh, very much look forward to helping scale the solution uh, for healthcare going forward. Yeah, totally. So I have a bit of a curveball because I have uh, these questions written out, but I would love to hear from you guys if we go down the line from Lynn, David, then to um, Jen, how you guys first, when you first learned about blockchain and kind of how you got into these, um, these roles. Sure, I can I can go first. This is Lynn. So uh, I'm based in Atlanta, and previously I've been uh, working in the healthcare space in payments and patient engagement types of technologies. And probably about three or four years ago, I started having dialogue with our CEO uh, Raul Sharma, who I've known for probably eight or nine years. And it it turned out that they were um, in the company he was uh, working with at the time. They were working on a fintech blockchain solution. And as I continued to have more and more discussion with him, it started to be uh, apparent to me that there were good healthcare-related and life science-related use cases that might make uh, a good foundational um, business that we could potentially launch. And so that was really the first in-depth discussion I had about DLT and blockchain, and that led to ultimately us launching the company uh, in January of 2017. Awesome. Great background. Thank you. David, you're up. Yeah. And and what I would say is, you know, prior to my current role at Microsoft, I served as the director of privacy and security for Intel Health and Life Sciences. And that was uh, around the time that blockchain first sort of arose. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it was asserted in those days as a bit of a silver bullet or panacea for, for security. Of course, we know it isn't. It has some mm-hmm. strengths, but there's some things you need to take care of. And so I got deeply into blockchain from that standpoint and then, you know, um, uh, added to that 
the application of blockchain and healthcare. And I, I currently have the honor of uh, serving as chair of the HIMSS blockchain task force, which is really at that intersection of applying blockchain to healthcare. So uh, that's how I got into it. And I see fantastic potential in it. It's, it's super exciting to see solutions such as DSM um, actually being piloted and, and showing the real value to healthcare, right? I think we, we need those pilots. We need those case studies and they are going to uh, create a solid foothold to scale blockchain and healthcare going forward. Yeah, totally. All right, Dan. So I, I don't remember when I was first <laughs> used to uh, blockchain, but I know I uh, it started to catch my attention from um, popular media in terms of yeah. uh, cryptocurrency and, and the hacking and all that. Uh, being somebody who's curious, uh, I started looking into, you know, once what, what's the technology under the gut and started to learn about blockchain and start to think about how it's applicable in, in our space. And clearly, you know, in the life sciences clinical trial space, there's a lot of activities. Um, so I'm excited to uh, help push this forward in, in our space. Yeah. This technology is crazy. Okay, Stephanie, now you tell me. I know you. I totally caught her off guard. <laughs> how did you? Uh, how did you get uh, first learn about blockchain? You know what's so funny? I actually learned about R three and Corda at my last job. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. So we were. Um, I was at a payments company previously, and uh, we had been doing some research into uh, blockchain. And R three happened to be across the street. So I've been here for three years, but all I did was cross the street from my last oh, job. Really? <laughs> yeah. I I didn't know that. Yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah, you're like, hey, that R3 place is cool. I'm going <laughs> to leave you guys jump across. Um, that's awesome. I always like hearing people's stories and how they got in, in the space and how they learned about it because um, – a lot of people have similar stories of just like, hey, these cryptocurrency things are cool. Like, let's try and see what we can use that tech for. Um, and this is an amazing use case. Uh, so I will get back on track. But um, what are the next steps here? Sure. So, um, uh, Catherine, this is Len. What I would say is that uh, from the digital sample manager uh, side of the equation, we are continuing our work uh, with Q Squared and Jan and, and his team in terms of bringing uh, Bringing additional stakeholders uh, into the fold and continuing to look at how to expand uh, use of the technology and, in this case, the solution and platform. And then uh, we also at HS Blocks have listed uh, the solution on the R3 marketplace, so there's some additional information there. And uh, we'll be collaborating with David at Microsoft uh, to ultimately uh, get the solution into the Microsoft marketplace as well as we, as we go forward. Amazing. Amazing. I can't wait to see what you guys do. Um, I don't want to totally steal the thunder for the webinar because that's going to be an awesome opportunity for everyone to learn more. I'll link to all of this stuff in our uh, podcast bio. Um, so yeah, everyone make sure whoever's listening to this, join the webinar June 27th at 1130 a.m. Eastern time. Thank you everyone for coming on the podcast today. I'm going to make sure to link to um, the digital sample manager app that's on the R3 marketplace. Um, and everyone follow on social media at Inside R3 at HS underscore blocks 
Microsoft has a million accounts, so you can probably find one specifically follow Azure. Um, and Q squared, I was looking up social media. Where are your Twitter accounts, Jan? <laughs> I'll send it to you. <laughs> Good. We got to get get you. Uh, everyone should bump up the followers because of the millions of people who are listening to Life in the Fast Chain, the hottest podcast in the blockchain space. <laughs> totally joking. But okay, thank you guys for coming on. Thanks, everyone. Thank you. We like to have a little bit of fun on these podcasts, so I'm very happy to learn more about the product. Okay, bye, everyone. Bye. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. In the studio with Nick Rogers, solutions engineer here at R3. How are you doing today? Great. Thanks for having me again. So happy to have you. Um, I've been dying to get you on to talk about your little side project here. Can you tell me a little bit about it? What are you working on outside of your very busy days here at R3? Yeah, very busy indeed and and getting busier. Uh, (laughs) It's been really exciting. It's nice to have a side hustle going on. Um, Essentially, I've rebuilt a board game on Corda. Okay, so that board game is, how do you pronounce it? Because I don't want to say it wrong. Settlers of Catan. Catan. I yeah. wouldn't have. <laughs> what was your first guess? What were you going to say? <laughs> I'm not gonna say it. it wasn't that, though. <laughs> okay. okay, so Settlers of Catan. Yes, which um, we have aptly redubbed Settlers of Cordan. Oh, yeah. I like that. I like it. So yeah. this board game is an online board game, correct? So originally, Settlers it was of, originally, yeah. yeah. It was originally actually like a straight up uh, cardboard mat, like move tokens around kind of board game. Got it. Like a like. Like a, I would have seen that before, right? Probably. If, yeah. I feel like I have, but then I didn't want to. Yeah, just it's get out there. It's and say super it. popular. It's it's always taken up at like board game cafes, uh, yeah. and bars and stuff. It's it's one of the pe- things, at least I think our generation goes to when they think of board games. Yeah. Like Settlers yeah, yeah. of Catan. Makes sense. They say it's. Uh, Monopoly with actual skill instead of luck, which is kind of fun. <laughs> that is fun. Yeah. Okay, so you must be very good at the game, right? You know, honestly, I have friends that still crush me all the time, but this was an endeavor to get better. I feel like you really have friends in high rules. places, though. Like, you're a very smart individual. <laughs> like, the last time you were on, you were shocking me with I'm all I'm sure my the... friends will be very flattered by that statement. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm just, you know, I'm well, passing out compliments left and right. But no, well, that's really cool. Yeah. So... Uh, what made you think, like, hey, I want to put this on Corda? Okay, so... Well, give me some background. Am I just jumping? No, no, no. That's okay, a really okay. good question. Oh, thank I think, you uh, so much. <laughs> <laughs> one of the things that I was struggling with was... Um, what, are, what, is an, what is an example of a really, really relatable and understandable use case of DLT? Okay. Because most of the things you look at in the Corda samples repo or even, you know, abstracting away the technology... Most of the example decentralized applications you look at are super complicated. Mm-hmm. Like they're really hard to wrap your head around. They're about, you know, financial futures and abstract, um, you know, token curation and and all this crazy stuff. So I'm thinking, how do we boil it down to something that's really fun and approachable mm-hmm. for the average non-technical user? Mm-hmm. And one of my passions has always been digitizing puzzles or mm-hmm. logic games. Uh, it's kind of how I got into development in the first place. I actually 
built like a Rubik's Cube simulator back in the day. What? At Solver. Yeah, it's it's on my GitHub if anyone wants to check it out. Um, <laughs> cool. But that was my first foray into what it means to digitize a puzzle or a game. And it's really fun because all the requirements are laid out for you. And when someone goes and looks at your repo, they have a super clear understanding of what it needs to do. Mm-hmm. And then when they look at the code, they can kind of see like, oh, like this is how this really rudimentary task part of the puzzle is being accomplished. Yeah. So take that to a board game. I would posit that a board game is actually one of the earliest implementations of DLT. And okay. it's a super aggressive <laughs> statement. <laughs> um, okay. But so tell me. Explain here's that. Here's Explain that. Hopefully sound <laughs> reasoning and logic. When you play a board game, okay. what you're doing is creating a shared fact. Okay. You place an actual physical representation of a game state on a table. You move tokens around to represent updating your shared understanding. So frankly, okay. it's not incredibly dissimilar from a distributed ledger. The only difference is instead of enforcing it through gossip protocols or consensus mechanisms, we're enforcing it through cultural norms. Mm-hmm. We all share this understanding of the given state of a board. We all agree to the rules before participating. Mm-hmm. And we end up creating, in essence, uh, a distributed copy or fact of that board game. Wow. So kind of neat. It ties in really <laughs> well to Corda um, because, again, the board game only exists from the perspective of individual players. And that's how Corda works. Yeah. The ledger only exists from the perspective of individual nodes. So in my digitized version of, of Settlers of Catan, players propose updates to the network, being like, I am making a move that follows all the rules. Okay. All the other players validate that that move follows the rules, and then that update is persisted to the ledger. And that's kind of the logic that underpins how you digitize a board game. It's been super fun. Yeah, I'm really passionate about this. (laughs) That is so cool. Yeah. Yeah, I I would never have thought of that. I should have you on, like, a Blockchain 101 episode, because that's, like, a pretty good way to, like, compare, like, a real-life, like, actual tangible scenario with this technology. uh, I I was listening to one of your podcasts earlier, and I know that you asked... uh, Dan from R3 uh, about how to explain blockchain to a five-year-old. Yes, I did do that. And I think that's so important because it's such an abstract concept. I just love the idea of taking away all the complicated stuff, like encryption, um, again, gossip protocols, consensus mechanisms, and just really focusing on the concept of what a distributed ledger means in its implementation. Yeah. Like the sharing of a fact. Yeah, definitely. That's very cool. I feel like I should pin this to a blockchain. Maybe like blockchain 102, is that? 102? Because <laughs> it goes kind of, right. I mean, a five-year-old can't understand board games, I don't think. This is true. It might be a little little too abstract for a five-year-old, it's, but it's a, it's like an eight-year-old. Yeah, eight-year-old, ten-year-old. Yeah. Um, well, that's really cool. So Thanks. what, when you were thinking about putting this on Corda. Mm-hmm. Well, well, why did you pick Corda? Did you pick Corda before you started working for R3? Uh, <laughs> or was it because you were tied to R3? Um, to be totally honest, I looked at a few platforms. Um, I looked at Ethereum. I looked at Corda. I've built some 
some dApps on Ethereum before, and I really wanted to, as obviously a solution engineer at R3, have like a big core dApp mm-hmm. um, on my resume, like something yeah. that requires maintenance and uh, continuous integration, something that I can log bugs against, and hopefully get some open source contribution. Yeah. Um, so that was one reason. The other reason, I think it just fits really well with what we discussed earlier. Yeah. Um, instead of relying on this like central contract that lives on chain. Yeah. Um, like in the Ethereum world, mm-hmm. uh, I felt like our paradigm of implementing a distributed ledger was more closely related to how a board game actually works. Yes. Like players propose changes, which yeah. are then validated, as opposed to, you know, triggering uh, a function on a Ethereum smart contract to update the ledger. Yeah. Um, frankly, both are possible. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. The benefit of, obviously, a private permissioned um, network with no crypto economic mechanisms is that it's free to play. Yeah. You know, like you can spin up a quarter node and uh, play with your friends on a private network. Yeah. Which is ambitious. That's an ambitious statement, but no, it's but getting still, there. No, but still, it's getting there. Um, yeah. Well, that's cool. That's nice that you looked at other platforms, too. Yeah, definitely. I think it's important. I mean, we can't get... We can't be uh, total zealots. We need to be, like, fairly evaluating everything no, in the market. No, I totally agree. I totally agree. And so one thing that's super important that... Um, we talked about a little bit before recording was the open source community and oh, how yeah. has that been like influential in this project? Very much so. I've been really trying to architect this from the perspective of this is a really big project, especially yeah. when we start talking about a front end. Right now it's it's really just the core app. Yeah. Um, and I'm working on building a web server that'll facilitate like uh, an API so that anybody can build their own front end. Cool. Very uh, cool. But from the start, it's really been about making it publicly accessible. So if you go onto yeah. the GitHub right now, there's 15 or so like really actionable issues, like mm-hmm. things that an open source developer could take, understand, crush, and contribute. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the goal being to increase the number of collaborators so that when we get into the core to samples repo, we have a whole bunch of like core uh, developers with something on their resume, yeah. you know, something to show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm looking at the GitHub right now as we speak. Yeah. Um, and that's very cool. I think it's also kind of nice having just like obviously working at R3 and using Corda, but having like the community, the R3 community and like yeah. Katie doing training, helping you out, kind right. of posting about it um, yeah. on our Corda Slack. Everyone join the Corda Slack, by the way, just saying. And also um, you can check all of this out on GitHub. Thank you so much for joining, Nick. This is really yeah, cool. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Wait, I have a question before we sign off. Sure. Do you, how do you say, do you say settlers or sed- settlers? Oh, I say settlers, but the pronunciation is so beyond me. I'm sure I'm going to get called out for so, that. No, but so this is the thing. This is my thing. So when we talk about Corda Settler, I yeah. was always saying Corda Settler, but everyone else was saying Corda Settler, and I think I felt like a weird American saying Settler, but that's like technically how you're supposed to say it, right? I think that might be a Catherineism. <laughs> I'm not entirely sure. <laughs> I don't know. But then everyone else is saying settlers, so I've changed right. my ways. Well, it's funny so because I you to have Corda your... Settler and yeah. Settlers of Cordan. So I'm hoping those don't get conflated because those are two very, very distinct products. Very different things. Yeah. yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, maybe they'll be integrated one day. Who knows? Maybe. Who knows? Maybe who knows what the future will hold. So thank you so much for coming on today. I'll link all this information in the bio. And if anyone wants to learn more about it, reach out to Nick. And definitely, if you're a developer listening to this and you want to check it out, go on to GitHub and make some contributions. Thanks, all Nick. Right. Thanks so much for having me. Did you learn a lot? I learned a lot. Thanks for listening to this episode of Life in the Fast Chain. I always have to do something a little weird at the end because I always wonder who listens to the conclusion um, and if they hear all the crazy things that I say. But I have to keep it spicy. I feel like I can't let the podcast get stale. So everyone, just let me be. Um, Don't forget to subscribe on your favorite podcast app. Uh, We have a lot of great episodes coming out. So tell your friends, tell your family. Just tell everyone. Scream it from the rooftops. Follow us on social media at InsideR3 and at Corda Blockchain on Twitter or on LinkedIn. We're on Facebook. We also have an Instagram at InsideR3, which we are starting to ramp up and post a lot more on. So definitely follow that. If you have any comments or questions about the podcast, feel free to tweet at me at Bread and Rudder. And don't forget to live life in the fast chain. Bye.